Hi, this is Peter Schwartz, public address announcer for the Cosmos, and you're listening to the First Team Podcast. Hello, Cosmos Country, and welcome back to another edition of First Team Podcast. On this week's episode, I will review the New York Cosmos victory 1-0 over Napa Valley 1839 FC. This weekend, the New York Cosmos will take on Michigan Stars. They will host Michigan Stars at uh, the Mitchell Athletic Complex on September 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. I have an email from a listener that I will read out later in the show. And there is another lawsuit against the United States Soccer Federation, which is not shocking at all, um, but I will go over that lawsuit. And um, that should be interesting because, as we all know, U.S. soccer doesn't care for their stakeholders. And that's why First Team Podcast has officially announced that we will be producing a new series and an original um, production on First Team Podcast, which is named Stakeholders Roundtable. You can go on our website, firstteampod.com. That is firstteampod.com. And you can check on the menu bar and you see Stakeholders Roundtable. Click the page and you can um, find more details on the series because we will update that page, and that is the one-stop shop for everything on that new series. So you can find out um, the guests on each episode, more details on when it will be released, and of course, I will keep you updated on uh, the weekly podcast. But like I said, over the past couple of weeks, nothing will change with the normal output of podcasts and content. It will just be five more episodes, but special episodes. So for example, we will have five different guests, five different stakeholders in U.S. soccer, and we want to get their opinion and we want to get their thoughts on the current state of U.S. soccer. So five different guests that are New York City based. And the one thing that I want to put out there for this series is that I will not talk to people that we hear about and we hear their thoughts every single day. That's the problem with U.S. soccer is that there's certain stakeholders, even within the lower divisions, that we hear every single day. The whole point of this series is to talk to people that are affected by the U.S. Soccer Federation, but they also don't have a voice by U.S. soccer, by the media. No one's giving them a voice to vent their frustrations and talk about the current state of the game and where do we go next? So we're going to start out with five episodes of season one. And I would love to get your feedback um, on the first season. Because I think this is a special thing for First Team Podcast. And we're going to take it um, very seriously as well. Um, because I don't think there's one media outlet in the United States. Even fan media that tries to get the ball rolling, that tries to pick people's brains 
on the currency of U.S. soccer. We're all talking to people. We're all um, trying to get guests on and things like that and trying to have great conversations and very interesting conversations. But this series, I feel, is going to be very special, and I'm looking forward um, to producing it, recording it, putting it all together, and releasing it. So there will be more details um, in due time. So the New York Cosmos, they beat Napa Valley 1839 FC by a score of 1-0. to That match was played at Mitchell Athletic Complex this past weekend. The Cosmos pick up another three points in the MPSL Members Cup. That is two games in a row that the Cosmos have won. So the first game was um, against Michigan Stars on the road. And the Cosmos will host Michigan Stars this Saturday September 14th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time at Mitchell Athletic Complex. So buy your tickets, uh, get hyped um, for hopefully another victory for the boys in green and they can continue that winning streak. I'm going to go with a New York Cosmos victory by a score of 3-0. I think once again, the Cosmos are going to have their home field advantage. They're going to have the home supporters and... It's just going to be a great night in Cosmos country, and hopefully the Cosmos can continue their winning ways in the Members' Cup. And I'm looking forward to the match after this Saturday. The Cosmos hit the road to take on Detroit City FC at Keyworth Stadium. So maybe we should get a Detroit City FC fan on the show to talk about that match um, because we all know what's going on in Detroit. They're joining Nisa in the spring along with Chattanooga. But Detroit CDFC, and that's what I was trying to say earlier about the series, is that there are clubs, there are uh, league owners and club owners and just management teams and maybe some fans that get so much attention, get so much media attention. They're quoted everywhere in every single media outlet, in every single article, every single podcast. But then... There are hundreds to thousands of people throughout the country and especially in New York City. And in New York City, for example, there's dozens to a couple of hundred people, stakeholders in U.S. soccer, that are not getting the media attention. And that goes from uh, the youth game to the lower divisions to the amateur game, semi-pro game, professional game. There are soccer players in U.S. soccer that have very strong opinions, and I hope we can get that out of them Um, for this new series. So I'm going to go with a New York Cosmos victory, 3-0 against uh, Michigan Stars FC. I would love to get your thoughts on that game and on the current um, state of the New York Cosmos in the Members' Cup. I have an email from a listener, Neil Shapiro. Thanks, Neil, for this email. He said, Hi, John. Fantastic podcast and interview with the guys from 423 Soccer Pod. Yeah, that was a great conversation, and hopefully we can have more of those types of episodes and um, conversations in the near future. He said, props to the guys um, from 423 Soccer Pod for a transparent and objective conversation. He said, listening to the conversation makes sense in terms of survival of the club to move to Nisa. Glad to hear that everyone is pulling in the same direction for the growth of the sport. It is nice to hear everyone after the match went out and had a pint. Now regarding Philadelphia Nisa, which is the Philadelphia Fury, your point is valid, but it is more of a responsibility of the league to ensure that a club is financially viable. If at the league level, there is no system in place to ensure ownership will cover their expenses, their payroll, 
even when the club will probably operate at a financial loss, then there will be clubs that will foul. Now, as you talked about it, look what is happening in the English Football League. A club that was around since 1885 has folded Barry FC. Yeah, I talked about Barry a couple weeks ago, and then he went on to say that reading the posts on Facebook from the supporters and supporters of other clubs, they are pointing the finger at the English Football League. The EFL has commissioned a study to understand what happened and what can be done to prevent another club from folding. Additionally, there was another club that was on the verge of collapse that was saved at the last minute by new ownership. And yeah, that club was Bolton Wanderers, and it is great to see that they were saved. But sadly, Barry FC wasn't saved. And I think it's going to be very interesting um, to see what happens with the club because I think I read that if the fans and um, current stakeholders with the club, I don't think their current owner is going to want to um, start a club from the bottom of the pyramid, but I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they recover from that. Can you recover from your club um, being put out of business? But I guess you have to recover and support a new team that maybe you have more control over. I think it's very interesting where Neil talks about Philadelphia Nisa, which is um, Philadelphia Fury. And last week I talked about the news story from Sock Takes, and yet it came out to be maybe not true. And a lot of people on social media have been saying, why are you talking about that? That's false news. That's fake news. And the thing I want to put out there to everyone listening to First Team Podcast on a week-to-week basis is that we're here to report the news some rumors. Sometimes it's a very weak news week. There's not that much news going around, for example, on some weeks, and we need to put out a podcast. So I'm not saying that we're clickbaiting or we're talking about false news. That was in the media. So yeah, that, that wasn't first reported by First Team Podcast, but that was put out there. And yeah, I did try to confirm that. Didn't get any response back. But at the time of recording last week, that's what came up. That was the news story. Was it true? Was it not? Some players from Philadelphia Fury, they said that they have been paid. Yeah, we have to note that it was going into the Labor Day holiday weekend. So maybe that played a factor. And Neil says that your point is valid. It is more of a responsibility of the league to ensure that a club is financially viable. This is, or it should be, a learning curve. It should be a moment for the league to understand that this is serious. That some clubs in the future, maybe in Nisa, maybe in another league, will one day fall into a state where they can't pay their players. And what's going to happen? What's truly going to happen in U.S. soccer? Does the fans and does the uh, supporter media outlets, do they have to put pressure on these clubs and on the stakeholders? I really want Philadelphia Fury to be successful. I want Nisa to be successful. But for me, I can't look past Philadelphia Fury and say, well, they came from the ASL. Will they be successful in Nisa? Maybe they will because they're in a U.S. um, professional sanctioned league that is truly on the U.S. soccer pyramid. And I think the one thing that a lot of fans don't think about is that professional soccer is a loss leader. Neil says that if at the league level there is no system in place to ensure ownership will cover their expenses 
or payroll even when the club will probably operate at a financial loss. That's the main thing. How do we, as a country, as U.S. soccer, as U.S. soccer stakeholders, how do we make soccer worth it for investors? Yeah, maybe they will lose some money or millions of dollars, for example. But how can we stop the pain, stop the damage, stop the loss of money for these investors? And I know a lot of people might be saying, well, in business, you lose money and you have to uh, invest money and spend money to make money. Yeah, you're right. But I'll give you this example, right? In Not just in professional soccer in the United States, but in any league in U.S. soccer from the amateur, semi-pro to professional ranks, you have to put up a decent amount of money to join a league, to rent a field for home matches, to rent a practice field, maybe to buy kits, to buy practice kits if you want them. And yeah, you're going to have sponsors and you want your club to be self-sustainable. But at the professional level, it's hard for a club to be self-sustainable without promotion and relegation, without broadcast money, without bigger sponsorships, bigger jersey sponsors and bigger kit deals or some kit deals because I don't know if any club in U.S. soccer outside of Major League Soccer has their own unique kit deal. Maybe Nisa, they have Humble, but the former NASL or the modern day NASL, the league didn't have a kit deal, which I think was great because they gave their clubs more independence to sign their own individual deals. The Cosmos had Nike, then they had Under Armour. So they gave their clubs more freedom, more power, which is great because each club should be their own business. So the point I'm trying to make is that sports, investing in sports, seems very interesting, but it shouldn't be a loss leader for a lot of markets, for a lot of clubs, for a lot of leagues, especially NISA. They should try to uh, stop the pain for a lot of these investors. And like I said, it's probably only going to happen when you have promotion and relegation because there will be more competition. There will be owners that would want to invest because there is this ability to move up to a higher level and their club can generate more money because they are at a higher level. And I I just want to point out that the thought of traveling across the country, that gives a bigger financial burden. Paying players a professional wage, hopefully, provides a bigger financial burden. Renting a bigger stadium or an expensive stadium is another financial burden. So running a professional soccer team is very difficult, especially if you don't have a couple thousand people in your stadium supporting your club. U.S. soccer, at all levels, is a work in progress. And that's why... The Stakeholders Roundtable is very interesting because as supporters, and I host the show every single week since 2014, and I have my own thoughts and I try to express them on a weekly basis, I always like to get people's thoughts on the currency of U.S. soccer, especially stakeholders, because we hear about what they have to say. We hear that they're suing U.S. soccer or they're suing this person. You have Dennis Crowley, who is... um teaming up with uh, Ricardo Silva from Miami FC and they want to implement promotion relegation and they have their case in the court of arbitration for sport, I believe in Switzerland. 
and we haven't heard back from them yet. Talking about lawsuits, Relevant Sports has filed a second lawsuit against U.S. Soccer this calendar year in regards to sanctioning. And this came from Neil Shapiro. Thanks, Neil. He tweeted at First Team Pod. He said, it seems like the lawyers are starting to line up against the U.S. Soccer Federation. And this article comes from SBI Soccer. So you can check this out at SBISoccer.com. The Washington Post reported that Relevant Sports, a company owned by Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, filed a lawsuit over the governing body's refusal to sanction international league matches. Relevant Sports is represented by Jeffrey Kessler. So Jeffrey Kessler is the current lawyer for the North American Soccer League, and he's also the same lawyer working with the U.S. women's national team in its legal battle with U.S. soccer over compensation. So the article went on to say that uh, the United States Soccer Federation originally refused to sanction a league match between Ecuadorian outfits Barcelona and uh, Guayaquil on May 5th in Miami Gardens, Florida. Um, Relevant second lawsuit pertained to a proposal involving La Liga sides Barcelona and Jordana, a proposal which the Spanish Federation refused to grant permission for. And the United States Soccer Federation President Carlos Cuadero also allegedly refused to discuss the possibility of moving last year's Copa Libertadores final between Boca Juniors and River Plate also to Miami Gardens. And the second leg was moved from Argentina to Madrid, Spain, because of security reasons. The United States Soccer Federation is being accused of violating the Sherman Antitrust Act. Relevant was anticipating paying $2.4 million this year to the United States Soccer Federation in order for them to sanction exhibition games. And U.S. Soccer did not comment on the accusations. I just think that U.S. Soccer has to understand one thing. That everything that they do wrong is being added to a current lawsuit or will be added and they will be sued in the future by another organization, another party that doesn't like how U.S. Soccer is being ran. For example, whatever happens within U.S. Soccer right now, it might be added to the NASL lawsuit and might just help the North American Soccer League win the lawsuit Strike down the professional league standards. And U.S. Soccer, they're not helping themselves out. If they knew this, maybe they do understand it and they do want to fight and um, they want to put their foot down and they want to be strong and they want to hire the best lawyers that they think are, are great to fight a certain case. Then they're going to get into a lot of lawsuits like this one. Um, with the relevant sports suing U.S. Soccer, you have the North American Soccer League that is currently suing U.S. Soccer, and that lawsuit has been going on for the past couple of years. Then you have the U.S. Soccer Women's National Team suing U.S. Soccer. And I would like to say, don't know for sure, but I would like to say that that won't be the end of lawsuits against the U.S. Soccer Federation. Because like I said earlier, whatever they do wrong day to day, if that's not sanctioning exhibition matches for relevant sports. They haven't sanctioned um, league matches 
from Ecuador. They haven't sanctioned a Copa Libertadores final between River Plate and Boca Juniors that was scheduled to play in Miami or was proposed to be played in Miami, but that second leg was moved to Madrid from Argentina. And don't get me wrong, Relevant Sports was anticipating to pay $2.4 million to the United States Soccer Federation. So it wasn't like they they wanted U.S. soccer to sanction matches without being paid for it. They were going to get paid $2.4 million. But U.S. soccer, I guess, has their own laws, has their own um, things that they want to follow according um, to the sanctioning process for foreign clubs, foreign leagues, foreign competitions. Is it wrong? Is it right? I'm not really sure. I don't really know where I sit on this um, lawsuit because should we have a foreign league match played in the United States? Maybe, maybe not. I think the friendlies are fair enough. I think you should have your friendlies in the United States. I think it drives a lot of interest in the game, in the foreign game, in the Premier League, Serie A, in all the top leagues in Europe. But I don't know if you were to schedule, say, a North London Derby between Spurs and Arsenal and say that's going to be played at MetLife Stadium, is that going to be as exciting as playing that game in North London? Or if you were to say Barcelona, Real Madrid, maybe that would be scheduled to play in Florida, in Miami. Will that be as exciting as the normal matchup, the the normal build-up for the match being played, for example, in Madrid? I don't think we should see league matches from foreign leagues being played in the United States because I think we should focus and worry about the current state of U.S. soccer and not worry about foreign leagues being played here and growing their club and their brand and their business getting more fans. That's not what it's all about. Or we shouldn't care for that, even if we support those leagues and those clubs. I know a lot of people might say, well, maybe a lot of people will never be able to go to Madrid or Barcelona or London or wherever to see these um, league matches. And that's why I guess it would be great for them to be played abroad in the United States, in China, in Australia, wherever. But I think it takes something out of the league match. I know American sports, they do that all the time. This past summer you had, I think it was the Yankees Red Sox playing in a soccer stadium in London, playing at West Ham Stadium. So it does happen in um, traditional American sports. You have uh, the National Football League. I think uh, one of their matches, one of their preseason matches this past summer was played in Canada. You have the NBA. They play games in London. Football, the National Football League, they play games in London. And maybe there will be a London team in the NFL one day. I don't know for sure. And this is not a NFL podcast. But the point I'm trying to make is that Traditional American sports and their clubs, they do go abroad and play matches and have fans there and fill up stadiums. And some of them are league matches and some of them are preseason matches. I'm a fan of the game in the U.S. I don't support Major League Soccer, but I support, I guess I support lower division soccer. And I don't think bringing foreign teams here for league matches is going to help the game here. It will help it 
as more fans, more people will come out to watch soccer, but it will not, it will not further U.S. soccer, the leagues, the clubs, to earn more money or to generate more money so they can pay their players and get bigger players in and just expand their operations. It will never come to that. But relevant sports... That's their business, right? So they need to live and die by hosting international matches, international clubs, preseason friendlies. That's what they do year to year. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. I really appreciate it. You can follow First Team Podcast on Twitter and on Facebook at First Team Pod. Check out our website, firstteampod.com. That is firstteampod.com. Like I said earlier in the show, First Team Podcast will be producing a brand new series and a original production to First Team Podcast, which is Stakeholders Roundtable. And I'm looking forward to producing it, recording it, and um, releasing it in due time. So I will have more details on, um, I guess, that schedule and when it will all be released. But I just have to tell you guys that it will be released in the fall. So... Stay tuned for that one. We will have five guests, five different unique episodes on the current state of U.S. soccer, and I will be interviewing stakeholders based in New York City in U.S. soccer. So players, agents, league management, thanks for tuning into this week's episode. I really appreciate it. And as always, let's go New York Cosmos. Yeah, just want to give a shout out to the five points. Borough boys of Benedel Cosmos in the Cross Island yeah. crew. Uh, uh, yeah, it's New York street and white. What we bleed, you see and fight. Indeed, it seems to be achieving. See, we do and did it right. Cosmo country loving, we above them. I'm just saying. All those lovely somethings come and see it in our playing. The fact of it is, rap from tear attacks, hash and bliss. Reacts, tap, we win. So fast, racking them in. Whether it's tag the wing, going back to the through the mid, cutting the seams. It seems we see anything to be. We got a ball and a dream. Got a ball and a dream. We do. I'm new, it's true. Fancy crew. Down for you, no doubt they do. Surrounding you about the views. Like Cues allowed to you without them dudes. I'm my crews, I'm checking that's no excuse. Each session a lesson, it's not about profession. The work's the test, and F's connected like a method. Not breathless after training, something's gotta be corrected. Rushing and acceleration at the start's the most suggested. Infected with greatness, potential is spacious. Out the world, just face it. The work becomes contagious. Some may say we made it, but now we've just begun. Sorry if you hate it, because I can tell you that I'm far from done.